as I said, we're going through the book of Isaiah, and I don't know if you've been reading along in your personal devotions, but it can be a lot to work through. And we've made it all the way to Isaiah chapter 40, and uh, I've been finding this to be just an incredibly helpful personally for me to be going through this book and to see what God would say through his word. Let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll begin together. Father, I thank you so much for this evening. We thank you for your word that it's alive, that it's not just an ancient historical document, but that you breathe eternal life into these words. And so we receive this today as life. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that we would be uh, open and attentive, that your word would transform us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, it says that there are three eternal qualities, faith, hope, and love. If you want to make a wise investment, you invest in faith, hope, and love. Those things are going to last for eternity. Other things aren't. Uh, the clothes that you're wearing, the, the place that you live, for sure the car that you drive, all of those things are all going to fade away. But three things are going to stand the test of time, faith, hope, and love. Now, uh, over the years, I have really liked the idea of love. That just makes so much sense to me, that the greatest of these is love, and I get how that's the main point going on. And if we don't love God and we don't love others, then what, li what is life really about? Uh, love makes tons of sense to me. And so does faith. Without faith, we can't please God. The foundation of our relationship with God is faith. If we don't have faith in Jesus Christ, we're not Christians. Faith and love make lots of sense to me. And then it says that there's a third eternal quality, and it's hope. And for me, hope hasn't always, I mean, yeah, it's a good thing, obviously, but does it really rank among faith and love? Why is it so valuable? Why would it, why would it make the list of the top three? I think that uh, when society thinks of hope, it's, it's a relatively short-term idea that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to get a job. And that hope, we hope, you know, is going to be just a, a few minutes or, or days long. Uh, hope is kind of relatively short-term. And what we're hoping for is that we're going to be secure and significant, that we're going to be, uh, I'm really hoping that I'm going to be loved and taken care of, I'm going to be safe and secure. I really hope that my life is going to have meaning and purpose. And uh, society seems to limit the idea of hope to something that's quite close in front of us. Now, here's the question that this passage is addressing. What happens when our hopes aren't fulfilled? When we don't feel loved and safe and taken care of when we're in a dangerous place, when we're, our life doesn't really make sense, when we're struggling, discouraged, depressed. What happens when things aren't going well 
how is God's response to our hopelessness? In Isaiah chapter 40, this is how God responds to those times in which it's not going well for you, all right? Uh, The time that is recorded here is now we've kind of moved forward from Michael's sermon last time. The uh, people of Israel are in exile. They're away from Jerusalem. They're away from the temple. They're imprisoned. This is not a great time. They're in exile. This is what he says. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. It's kind of their nickname. Even though they're not living there, he still calls them Jerusalem. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her heart service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Now, first of all, what he's saying here is that I actually was punishing you, and uh, I'm finished doing that now. We don't think we don't like to think about God punishing us, but He says, uh, "Don't worry, I finished punishing you. It's all good." <laughs> that is encouraging. Um, see, verse ten: the Sovereign Lord comes with power, and He rules with a mighty arm. See, His reward is with Him. And his recompense accompanies him. I I reward the righteous. I don't just punish. I reward. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Now, that's really nice words, isn't it? He's taking care of us. He really loves us. He's going to be like a shepherd to us. and He's really, really strong. Um, here's the problem is they're in exile and they're being ruled by ruthless people horrible rulers and so so God comes and he says I'm going to speak comfort to you and I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now that, uh, that I'm, I'm really powerful I haven't come to punish you anymore. I've come to reward you, and I'm going to take care of you. Now, if you're those people, I'm sorry, this isn't super comforting. It's like, yeah, that's fine. Show me the money. Like, where's the evidence of what you've just said? You're saying that you're going to take care of us. You're saying, you're saying that you're super strong. But I'm still in exile. I'm still, uh, I've had to flee from my home. I've been dragged to this place. And you're telling me these words. What's going on here? Yeah, your words, I'm sorry to say, sound a little hollow. So what God does is he puts himself on trial. In the way the commentators say, he's speaking to various groups of people, and he's defending himself to these people who are in exile. So he goes on. He says, uh, uh, he contrasts himself with idols, with rulers, and with humanity in itself. Here's what he says, in verse, uh, starting in verse 6, and then we're going to jump around a little bit. It says, all people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Really encouraging. He brings princes to naught 
and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. So, um, so the, the, imagine you've been, uh, you've been taken out of your country, you've been put into a place of slavery, you're in bondage, and so imagine yourself in a small cage, and then God's standing outside of the cage, and he says to you, I'm amazing. I am doing so well right now, you have no idea. I'm the creator of the world. All of this I've created. You, you're like grass. You're going to fade. Even your faithfulness isn't really very impressive to me. I am so strong, all the rulers submit to me. Idols, you want to turn to idols, they won't help you at all. I'm the great God. And they're still in a cage. And he's going on in this cosmic declaration of who he is. And if I was those people, I would say, excuse me, uh, you know, thank you for being great, but what about me? Like, what am I going to do? How are you going to help me? And through this whole chapter, he talks about that God is actually going to come back to Jerusalem and dwell in Jerusalem, and his presence is going to be there. It's amazing. Nowhere in the chapter does it say that they're ever going to make it back to Jerusalem, to their homeland. They're going to be stuck in this horrible place, probably for their whole life. Speak comfort to my people. And he says, I want you to know I'm doing fine. <laughs> I just want you to know that I'm okay with you being there and me being great and sovereign. I just want you to know that. Don't you feel comforted now that I'm great? Now, I don't know about you, but God's always doing this to us. He's always declaring amazing things that we're not quite experiencing. Have you noticed that? Like, name one thing in your life, name one promise that God has given you that's thoroughly fulfilled. I double dare you. <laughs> like, there's, it's never, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of true, and I'm kind of happier now, and it's kind of going better for me. But boy, I look down the road, and these people who don't follow you, and they're not fully devoted to you, they kind of look happy too. I find the comfort that God gives to be a little bit disappointing. Here's, uh, here's what I think 
Okay, follow me on this. I think it's going to be helpful. I think that modern Christians, for sure in North America, we think in terms of faith, we don't think in terms of hope. I want to try to unpack this a little bit. Uh, faith is believing that that almighty God is going to do something super great right now. And so when we talk about faith, what we're talking about is believing in an almighty God who is incredibly present in this moment and he's going to transform this moment in an amazing way. Isn't that what we signed up for? Like our life wasn't going well, and so I'm going to put my faith in you, and when I trust you, I'm expecting a super cool thing to happen. And if that super cool thing doesn't happen, it'll happen tomorrow, I'm open-minded, or the day after that. But for sure it's going to happen. That's what I signed up for. The, uh, the name uh, in our church, we have a course that we want everybody to go through. And it's called transformations. It's a faith word. Is that if you go to this course in just six weeks, you can have your whole life changed. It's going to be amazing. Really, it is. I know the author personally. It's, gonna, it's just going to do shockingly profound things. And all you have to do is believe. And if you believe, you get all of this really, really great stuff right now. And in the course, I always tell you, if you sign up right now, you get free steak knives as well. It's just going to be a really, really great deal. <clears throat> I think that Western Christianity is built around faith and knows virtually nothing about hope. I think the Western church finds the hope of God thoroughly disappointing. Thoroughly. I would go so far as to say, I don't even think we want hope. We just want faith and love. We just want something right now that's going to be really cool and really great, and we get to write a testimony about it. Uh, biblically, what God promises us on this side of death, the, I would venture to say the maximum that God promises you on this side of death is a deposit. You know how when you put a deposit down, you're going to buy a car, you put a deposit down. The best that you and I get right now is a deposit. 50 bucks. 1,000 bucks. And I'm putting a deposit down. And that deposit, we, we receive that deposit by faith. But there's a whole other reality that God goes on and on about in the Bible that is a future reality that we really aren't going to experience on this side of death. It's really not going to happen. 
Aren't you glad you came today? So, uh, so how is hope described? In verse 30, this is, uh, if you've been around churches for a while, you might know this, uh, these verses. And this is where they came from, Isaiah 40. Starting in verse 30, it says, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So you're starting with eagles, getting to runners, getting to walkers. That's the, that's the trajectory. And hope is the ability to endure a long journey. So as I said, all of these people who are in exile, they, they're not going to get out. They're going to die there. And there's no promise in this passage that that's going to change. So here's what I need to ask you. Are you okay with hope and not just faith? Are you okay with it? Are you okay with living a life that is almost promised in completion until you die? Are you okay with that? Would you like to be a person of hope or would you just like to be a person of faith? Would you like to be a person who believes in the manifest presence of God here and now? Super cool, sign me up. Or would you like to be a person who knows full well that the things that you dream for and long for, they're not going to happen for a really long time? And are you willing to soar like an eagle, to run and not grow weak, to walk and not faint? Are you willing to spend a lifelong journey in hope? Unlike faith and love, hope is always distant. Listen to what Romans chapter 8, I don't have it up there, but listen to Romans chapter 8. It says, I consider that our present sufferings, so suffering and hope are always together. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is after death. For in this hope, we were saved. But this hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hoped for what they already have? But if we hope, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What's going on here? Hope isn't hope if we receive it. And God is trying to form a people 
who have caught light of such a glorious eternity that they're actually willing to spend a lifetime of suffering because they're so consumed with the eternal reality that is promised them through Jesus Christ. God's comfort makes sense only as we embrace an eternal hope. Please hear me. God's comfort, he's not standing out here while we're in prison saying, I'm doing fine, I don't know about you. What he's saying is, that's not the ultimate reality. I'm in the ultimate reality. Who, who I am, how I'm orchestrating the creation of the world and, and all that's going to go on through human history, I am doing something that you're going to experience. It's going to be amazing. And all that you're enduring, I need to, to put this in this eternal context so that you can suffer with hope. So that you can see beyond how you're defining a meaningful life. I've got to get you out of that so that you, your life can be defined by something so much greater. So, let me ask you. Uh, I, I'm sure that all of you here, you have dreams, right? I have dreams. Are your dreams personally achievable? Like when you think of the dreams that you have, you know, I, don't, I don't know what you want. You want 1.5 kids. Um, you want a nice house. You want a, a car that you know, makes other people jealous. I don't know what it is you want. You want a, you know, a degree. Um, you want to find your soulmate. Okay. <clears throat> Biblically speaking, those dreams are hopeless. They're hopeless. Those dreams have barely any hope in them. Lots of faith. That's good. That's good. But, uh, but really, they're hopeless. Your dreams are way too small. What I'm dreaming for is I want to have a job where I can really make a difference in this world. Well, that's good. But don't you want the King of kings and Lord of lords to return in glory and rule the whole world? Like, don't you want that? Don't you want, like, a new body? <laughs> you can walk through walls and stuff, super cool. <clears throat> don't you want to be with the living God forever? Don't you want to see the world transformed by the power and glory of God? Like, is that what's motivating you? That's hope. That's hope. Now, when you have hope, now your personal dreams and visions make sense because they're a deposit toward that greater glory. And so they're super valuable, don't get me wrong. 
You want a job that makes a difference? That's excellent. But don't ever imagine that it's anything more than a deposit. How do we as a people long for heaven? Long for the coming of the king? Long for a new heaven and a new earth? My friends, Christianity, I promise you, will stay dissatisfying unless you have an eternal hope. And without that eternal hope, Christianity will just seem like bad advertising. I talk to so many people who were so full of disappointment and hopelessness. And everything in me wants to say, Jesus is going to come and he's just going to make all this super duper better. It's going to be super great. But in my mind, I know that's not necessarily true. It's not. You may die there. One of the things that, that uh, we talk about in marriage, and if you've been to our, one of our marriage seminars, you've heard this, that the problems that you have in your first year of marriage will be the exact same problems that you will have for 50 years. Again, just, I'm so glad you're here that I can encourage you in this way. But, uh, but you're actually not going to get over any of that. It's not going to happen. I mean, you'll get better, but it's just a deposit. Debbie and I are working through, it's super sad, right? 31 years of marriage. <laughs> and we're working through the exact same issues. And we can almost say each other's lines for us. You know, she says that, I say this. You know, it just does that. Because we've been practicing like for 31 years how our problems aren't changing. And the, the beauty of marriage is, is not that you're, you, you fix your problems is that you become a comfort to one another as you long for heaven. And that's what makes the relationship beautiful. Not that I've become perfected, but that we're longing. Marriage points beyond itself to the fulfillment of human history. And the comfort is in saying, it's okay. It's okay. We don't have to be perfect to find meaning and purpose in this life. We're just setting our hope on something beyond. I'm afraid that if we as a church community only value love and faith, it's false advertising. And I don't want to do that to you. We've also got to, as a community, value hope. Because hope has this amazing ability to enable us to endure impossibility with no foreseeable change and still find the peace and joy of the Holy Spirit. Because I'm not defined by this. I don't need to get out of this to be happy. Because my God isn't in this. Well, I mean, he's present with us. But he's, 
He's bigger than that. He's calling us into something beyond that. And so I'll tell you, I'll tell you what goes through my mind all the time. All the time I think about this. It's only 80 years. I think that all the time. I just, you know, something's hard. I think it's only 80 years. And now it's getting, Troy, it's getting closer, right? I mean, it's, it's now, like it's, I just got to hang on for a little bit longer here. But in the grand, I am going to spend eternity in the presence of the most glorious being of all. I'm going to see the living God face to face. He's going to know my name, and he's going to call me his son. I'm going to be part of the wedding supper of the Lamb. I'm going to be united with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not going to have to struggle with sin anymore and complications and disappointments. My friends, I have hope that allows me to endure 80 years. You know, 90, whatever. I'm, I'm hoping for 80. It just seems to get harder after. I just want to drool. Um, you know, but if it has to happen, it has to happen. You know, when, uh, when uh, um, uh, I, I like mountain biking. And so uh, in order to do something meaningless, I'll read uh, mountain bike magazines. When I just want to empty my mind of all things meaningful, <laughs> I just read a stupid magazine. And, and what they tell you, what they always tell you if you're going to be a good mountain biker is that what you need to do, the biggest problem is that you look at your front tire. That's the biggest problem in mountain biking. Because as soon as, if you're looking at your front tire and there's an obstacle, by the time you see the obstacle, it's too late. You're going to fall. Hurt yourself. That's never fun. The key is the, the better the mountain biker you are, the further down the trail you can see. And so the, fa the, the, the faster you go and the, the better you are, you, your, your sight is 50 to 100 feet down the trail. And what's happening right in front of you is, is all, fa is all um, interpreted by there, not here. And this just, it's already too late. This, whatever's happening here is too late. You can't do anything about that. All you can do is what's going to be happening 50 to 100 feet from now. And if I can stay focused on there, I can pick a line that's going to get me through the trail. I'm praying that we as a community can set our sights far enough in advance, you know, three to 5,000 years, whatever we need, but far enough in advance where all that goes on in our daily lives will have the right context to it. And that at the end of the day, you and I are going to be defined as people of hope. So let me ask you in conclusion, will you choose not just faith, not just love, but will you choose hope as a motivation for your life? Will you value eternity? There used to be a, uh, a form of evangelism. Um, it was called evangelism explosion, and it was the, the two-question uh, method of evangelism. 
And uh, now that you're looking at me, I can only remember one. But, uh, but if, you, if you die today, uh, are you certain that you will go to heaven? That's, that's, the, that's how you do evangelism. You ask this question. Uh, they're not using that question anymore in evangelism. You know why? Because anybody that people that you're talking to don't care. They just don't care. They say, I don't know. What's for dinner? That's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking a good hour from now, and I'm stretching to get there. The, the evangelism explosion method doesn't work anymore because nobody's thinking about heaven and hell anymore. There is no hope orientation in our culture. Isn't that shocking? So you can tell somebody, I'm worried by the way that you're living that you're going to go to hell. You know, cross that bridge when I get to it. I'm just trying to live right now. That's mostly what I can handle is the next couple moments here. That's what I'm trying to get through. If you value eternity, you will be able to receive the comfort of God. And if you don't value eternity, you will never quite feel the comfort, safety, security, hope, kindness, assurance, promises. You'll never quite be able to receive them the way you imagined you should unless we become a people of hope. 